0: This is The Frey Podcast, brought to you by thefray.com, a place for women who want more from life. Welcome to today's episode. This podcast is a solo one and I'm just going to have a chat with you about a variety of different topics. I think it will feel a bit like a really, really long Instagram story or if you followed along for years, perhaps like the old Snapchat days, because I just have a couple of things I thought could be helpful to tie up here in a podcast episode. So firstly, something that has been on my mind a lot and has come up in a lot of conversations for me just in the last couple of weeks, has been a real through line and that is about rejection. So rejection has popped up for me a little bit in different ways, as I said, and it was recently I was having a conversation with a girlfriend and we were talking about how as parents, it can be really hard to know what to do. To soothe or help or just support and just be there and witness when your child is feeling rejected from school. Because now that my two are at primary school and they're going into grade three, the things that you do think about and you're facing daily are quite different to the things that you are facing daily when they're babies and when they're toddlers, because there's so much more out there. In the world, even though it's still a very little controlled world for them, but they're interacting with different people. They're obviously having different conversations, and they're going to have my boys are definitely having, and all kids are going to have experiences of feeling other, of feeling rejected, of also being included. They're going to go through so many things. And so rejection was on my mind in that context from being a parent and helping kids to move through that and accept it. And then also just personally, I had something happen a couple of weeks ago with a work venture and it left me feeling quite rejected in a way. And then also in my personal life, like when you're dating, you sometimes feel rejected because you might go on a date with someone and then never hear from them or sometimes you're the one rejecting for lack of a better word and rejecting in that sense does sound quite harsh because if you've only gone on one or two dates and you have to be the one to say hey I don't really see this going anywhere it it doesn't feel like a big rejection but when you're on the other side of it Sorry about my voice. It's early. (laughs) I'm recording this before the construction begins with the hopes that I can get through this whole episode without any banging and power sores and all of that stuff happening in the background. But rejection. You can feel completely, not completely, but you can feel just cast aside in the dating game, whether it's in a really minuscule way, such as someone unmatching you or whether it is bigger of going on a couple of dates with someone than them saying it doesn't it's not going to work out and the shoe can be on the other foot as well absolutely i feel like i've been in both both of those positions and just all through life we all go through moments of feeling like we're not good enough for someone we've not been included it can happen in a workplace it can happen in your family environment when you're a child you might feel really Um, excluded from doing things with your siblings or that your parents have let you down there's so many different ways to sort of have that sense of yeah feeling rejected and so it's been on my mind and then I was listening to a podcast and this is what I do I listen to so many podcasts that I cannot remember which episode this was in I should have taken a screenshot of it I should have written it down but I didn't I've tried to Google it, but I can't quite find which one it is And because I just listen to random ones sometimes. But it doesn't really matter because what I want to talk about is the content. So I was listening to this podcast and I was speaking about rejection and they were talking about how it feels like a physical pain. It's so much more than just a sweeping, sad emotion or you know, feeling angry for a moment, rejection can feel like an actual physical pain and a physical ache. And in this episode, they were saying that they've done all of these studies on rejection and it doesn't even matter if the rejection is objectively real or if it is just perceived. So collectively I think you know most humans could get together in a room and agree on something that is rejection. We could say okay this person has been turned down from this role or this person went on four dates and then the other person didn't want to pursue it. We can objectively all agree on what rejection might look like. You know a group of kids at school excluding another child. Rejection. But What I found most interesting is it doesn't matter if the rejection is objective, if everyone would agree on it. What matters is that the individual, much like trauma, what matters is that the individual perceives rejection and you can perceive rejection even when you know it's not real. So they were talking about this study where they got a group of people together and they did all of these, you know, different exercises and activities to, ha- to make them feel excluded. You know, just people passing a ball backwards and forth between themselves when there are other people in a room. And they told the participants of this study, this is a study on rejection, so expect to feel rejected. And that did not lower their discomfort, it did not lower their pain and their physical pain of feeling rejected even though they knew it was a controlled study. So we are so wired as humans to want to be included and connected and involved that even these people, when they have been told, like, this is a study, you are not really being rejected. This is, you know, you're basically entering a game to play with us to see how you feel. They logically could understand that, but like their, I don't know whether you call it like their mammalian brain or what, but they could not, even though they had that logical information, it didn't really matter. It didn't make a difference to their physical response and their thought process of being rejected. And the other part that I found so interesting, which I've mentioned, is that feelings of rejection light up the same part in your brain that physical pain does. And in this episode, they were talking about how actually having Panadol reduced someone's ache of being rejected. That's how interlinked the perception and the experience outside of your body can feel inside your body. And that just really, really stuck with me. And especially because I was thinking about children So as I said, these themes in life come up, I think, and you can kind of go, oh, yeah, I can see how that applies to that, and it all links together. But I was, and sorry, construction is commencing, team. Um, But I can see how that understanding that that perception of rejection is just as real as objective rejection in terms of how you feel and how it shows up for you. That's such important information to have as a parent. Because when our children get in the car at the end of a school day and they say, you know, so-and-so didn't want to play with me, rather than saying, oh, they'll play with you tomorrow or you've got so many other people to play with or whatever other platitude kind of comes up for you as your knee-jerk response, it's actually, I think, really important to validate how your child is feeling in that experience of being rejected because it runs so deep in us as humans to want to be connected and included and it can feel like a physical pain it's so much more as I said than just that fleeting you know anger over something that's inflamed you or triggered you or whatever so just understanding that for kids as well I think can be a really really big key in building your connection with your child because rather than disengaging and minimizing what they're telling you you can validate it and say yeah that would be i can understand i i understand how upsetting that would be for you and as parents we do often want to fix it and make things better but sometimes you just have to say i get it i understand that is hard something i have found helpful with my boys is after i validate and say yes I see you, I understand that's hard, all of that stuff. I will ask them if they want to hear about a time in my life where I have felt the same way. And without doubt, they always say, yes, this might change as they get older because they might kind of say, no thanks, this is about me. But at their age still, because you know, parents are still so central to them, they do want to hear about it. And one of my boys in particular, he will ask me specifically, have you ever felt like this? And I'll just sit and I'll tell him, like, yes, I have. And, you know, I, I don't say it was okay and it all it was all made better by da-da-da. I just say, yeah, like, I have felt that way. And that seems to really, really be beneficial to him. And the other thing I wanted to mention on the topic of children feeling rejected, which, again, because it's all just the circle of life, it helps us as adults as well, is rather than saying to a child who's feeling rejected, oh, you know, it's okay. Tomorrow's a new day. You're going to make new friends or whatever, or just talking to them about times when they've not been rejected. One of the best things you can do, and this was in this episode, was actually like cancel your plans if you can. Mm -hmm. And take them somewhere where they're going to feel included. Organize a play date with someone straight away. Give them the social proof that they are still included, they are still accepted, they are still connected, they are still loved um, because you you ca- probably can't talk them out of that physical pain. But what you can do is provide some social proof just through experience, through fun, through play that they are accepted in other ways. And I thought that was really, really powerful because I know myself, like earlier in the year, you guys know if you've listened to my podcast episodes where I'm like crying over having a broken heart, feeling rejected, like, <laughs> you know, whether you're a kid or an adult, it, it really does cut deep. And that is what I realized One of the salves to feeling rejected was the connection with other people. It is having your friends come over and put their arms around you and show up for you. It is your, you know, deep, honest conversations with family members and letting them see how hurt you are. So it makes sense that when your child is experiencing what we as adults might perceive as a micro-rejection and unimportant, it makes sense that one of the ways we can help them is to provide a chance for them to connect with someone else and maybe it's not that you can go and organize a play date straight away maybe you can't do that but maybe you can you know work out a way to have an extra 15 minutes of really quality time versus quantity with your child to let them know that they are still important and that doesn't mean that you sit down for 15 minutes and you tell them all the ways they're important. It means that you do something that they want to do usually. And I call these things as like entry fees into, the, into their world. So, you know, if they're super interested in Pokemon, playing Pokemon, if they love to bake, let's go get something and bake something together. It's just trying to provide that social proof in another way that they matter. And similarly, if your partner is feeling rejected or your friend or a family member, you know, perhaps they didn't get the job at work that they really, really wanted or they're struggling with different relationships, friendships, their family. Rather than focusing on what you can't control or trying to control those circumstances and trying to fix it, maybe the solution is to just provide as much connection as possible as a way to help ease that physical pain. And now you can Google this and articles will come up. There are lots of like scholarly articles talking about rejection and physical pain. And I just wanted to talk through a couple of the ones that come up on psychology today. It says rejection piggybacks on physical pain pathways in the brain. FMRI studies show that the same areas of the brain become activated when we experience rejection And when we experience physical pain, and that is why rejection hurts so much, because in fact, our brains respond so similarly to rejection and physical pain that Tylenol, aka penadol, Nurofen, reduces the emotional pain that rejection elicits. And something I think is worth highlighting is it's the experience of feeling rejected, so keep that in mind, parents, because, you know, and not just parents, when you're talking to your partners, when you're interacting in the world, if you are if you have employees, it is their experience, like trauma, as I said earlier, if someone says that was traumatizing for them, it is. You don't get to be the judge and jury on whether or not that's fair for them to feel that way because you don't know what's below the surface for them, what that's triggering. Um... Another thing that I think is interesting, and this is from Psychology Today, we can relive and re-experience social pain more vividly than we can physical pain. And that's so true. Like, I cannot remember how it felt when I broke my arm as a kid. I cannot recall the ache in my arm But oh my gosh, I can recall every time I felt like I've had a broken heart or times in school when, you know, like a group of girls didn't include me in a sleepover. I can remember that so much more clearly, which I just think is so interesting. And another point in this article, which fascinates me and it all is, again, comes full circle, rejections send us on a mission to seek and destroy our self-esteem so I imagine that has to do with our brain bias of believing negative things over positive things with more ease and then wanting to go and prove that wanting to find more more ways of proving to our brain yes you don't belong here it's, you know, it's self-harm. It really is to go on a mission to seek and destroy your self-esteem. So that's obviously why having that connection is going to be a much healthier and much more productive and effective way of salving that rejection. Um, yeah, I just felt that that was an important thing to speak about because I am really trying to practice more self-compassion towards myself, not being so hard on myself, all of those things. And understanding that your brain and your body experiences rejection as physical pain is helpful. Like it's helpful to know these things. It's helpful to know that's a normal response. And there are certain things you can do to help ease that that discomfort and that actual proper pain so I just thought that was interesting food for thought another through line that I have had pop up a couple of times just in the last couple of weeks is the sentiment and I'm just shifting gears a bit from rejection but is the sentiment of how important it is to do nothing sometimes I think often as women we are always wanting to do fix help ease, all of those things, you know, like we just, we want to do the right thing, please, which I get into a bit in my episode with Dr. Rebecca Ray, you know, so often we are wired, we are groomed, we are raised to please and be easy and go with the flow and all of those things and practice compliance a lot of the time. Now, doing nothing, has come up a couple of times. So it came up in my episode for the Kind Parenting Company podcast that I did with Shari Line when we were speaking about inductions. And Shari was talking us through how to, I guess, um, navigate the system of having a baby sometimes. And she was saying you might get to a point where you weigh up all your options and then you decide the best thing for you to do rather than making a decision is to do nothing or at least ask the question, what if we do nothing? And I was then talking about that with a friend who is a midwife, and she said, oh, I love that. I love, love, love that Shari said there are times when, you know, you just need to wait it out and do nothing. And then it's come up for me in a dating context. And a saying that I really believe is true is if you feel confused They don't like you. If someone likes you, you won't feel confused. And there have been times in dating where it's like, huh, that's interesting. I'm not quite sure how I feel or what I want to respond to that. And if you just do nothing, the other person will usually give you the answer. And that answer might come through in the way of you don't hear from them again, which is a very clear answer in itself, or they will reach out and be clearer or they'll pick up the phone. So sometimes you just have to actually do nothing in life. And again, in parenting, we are wired to want to ease our children's discomfort. But there are plenty of times when you just need to do nothing. You just let, need to let whatever unfold unfold and just be a bystander. So doing nothing has been on my mind in that context. And that doesn't always come naturally to me. But another saying that I do love, and I've shared this before, is let the silence do the work. And there are times in life in all sorts of scenes and settings where you just need to be silent and let that silence do the work for the other person. Okay, kind of in a similar thread, I wanted to just share with you a couple of, I don't know, tips feels a bit wanky to say tips, but a couple of thoughts on how to maybe perhaps handle when something upsetting happens. So again, just referencing, I had a work thing kind of fall apart at the 11th hour and it really upset me. It really, really upset me because I felt very unheard. I felt disregarded, definitely felt rejected Definitely felt frustrated and just overall upset and also upset with myself because there were certain things I could have, there were definitely things I could have and should have done better to protect myself in that situation, but I'm not obviously not going to go into it, but it, it upset me and it knocked me a little bit. And then I got sick after that as well. Oh no, I was sick before that. So it was all kind of compounded, but a few thoughts on when something happens that cause you, causes you to feel upset. Number one is I think you just need to feel however you feel, which I know is so basic, but we don't do it. We're so good at as humans at stifling how we feel. You know, we implement another behavior that distracts us it's like the old magician's trick of don't look over here because look over here look at this hand do something else over here but you just have to feel how you need to feel because if you don't it will come up and out in another way if you don't feel how shit it feels in that moment or allow yourself that chance to just wallow and let that ugh, yuck feeling wash over you If you try and suppress it, it will come out later. And usually I think for parents, it will come out at your children. You know, they will just ask you the same question one too many times and you will have a big response, a response that is totally disproportionate to the situation. And you're going to misplace your anger and your frustration. So be a responsible adult and feel how you need to feel in the moment or set aside some time later when it's safe to do so. Next, pause. And again, this can be connected to the do nothing sentiment, respond instead of react. I'm not always good at this. There are times in life, particularly in co-parenting where I'm like, oh, like my reaction comes comes too quick and I don't actually pause and respond, but it's something that I'm mindful of. And I'm always trying to work at that. I think in a work setting, I'm pretty good at this. But, and I do think in parenting as well, but we all have our areas where it's like, okay, maybe I need to work a little harder in this zone. So just asking yourself, if you're responding, if you're mid response, just have a quick check in and pause and say, am I responding thoughtfully or am I reacting? So if you're reacting, it's probably going to feel more like a flurry of emotions and You're trying to get your point across really quickly and you're going to feel heightened. You might feel anger. You might feel sad, elated, whatever it is. But just stop and check in with yourself and only you will know the answer to that. And a pause can be 30 seconds or a pause can be 30 days. (laughs) You take your time and you pause for as long as you need to. Next up. Think about who or where or what sort of support you need in that moment, such as there are times when you need someone who will just get in the trenches and complain unproductively with you. You know, you need to choose who you're going to with this information and make that choice an informed one, because if you have paused and you're at peace, Don't go to your friend that you know is easily riled up and wants to fight battles with you. Don't go to them. Go to your friend who's a little more thoughtful and more chilled out. You know, it's so important to really consider who you're seeking advice from and what you actually need. You know, if you need someone to whinge with you, don't go to your partner if you know that he or she is the solutions master. Just be thoughtful because you don't want to create a... A situation where you're feeling more frustrated, uh, you know, like you're just compounding what you're already feeling. So check in with, with yourself. Do you need sympathy? Do you need that proverbial kick up the butt to keep moving forward? Do you need someone to join in your pity party with you? What do you actually need? Next up, this saying, this expression, I have said it before and I think it comes off really harsh. But at the core of it, I love the message and the expression is sometimes the trash takes itself out. And I know that can sound so mean and I want to be really, really clear in saying the reason I love that expression is not because it's saying that another person is trash, it's because that's not what it's about at all. It's lighthearted and it's an easy kind of visual representation of like, imagine like a little trash bag walking itself out. So I want to be really clear in saying, I am not saying that anyone who's ever let me down is rubbish or anything like that. What I'm saying is I like the sentiment of that because it's basically saying, you know, sometimes the universe clears a path for you that you didn't know needed to be cleared. Sometimes someone will hit the eject button on themselves and it's painful for you but it's really a service to you ultimately. And there's another saying that goes along the lines of you never know what your bad you never know when your bad luck is saving you from worse luck. Something along those lines. And I like that. And it kind of interlocks with that parable that I've told a thousand times about that. Is it good? Is it bad? Because we can think something is really upsetting, but you just don't know what that upset is saving you from down the track. And I've often thought like this because I can remember when the boys were little and say we'd get in the car and we're going to daycare and I've realized that one of them kicked his shoe off and we have to go back and get it or whatever it is, or I forgot their lunch or whatever. Rather than being like, oh my gosh, I'm so inconvenienced by this. I've always lent into saying a little thank you. Like obviously I wasn't meant to be on the road at that time. Thank you universe for making me turn around going and get that. Because yeah, it might seem at the surface bad luck that you've been inconvenienced. But what if, like what if that was keeping you safe from something? And so I connect that as well to this whole, sometimes the trash takes itself out. Same in dating. If someone ghosts you, let them ghost you. And what else? Oh, just do your best. (laughs) Such a mum there. Um, But go easy on yourself because when you are feeling upset, your best is going to be different to your best on a day when you're feeling really great and really mentally in the game. So if your best is a short, sharp response and that's all you've got in you, that's okay. Your best doesn't need to be overly gratuitous and extreme and grand. You just do your best at that time and practice self-compassion. Kylie, talking to myself now, practice self-compassion in knowing you don't always get it right. So yeah, you might have instances where you do in fact react rather than respond. You're a normal human, no big deal. These are just food for thought things that perhaps I think are important to keep in the back of your mind when you do have those upset things. Particularly the two most helpful ones for me are knowing who to go to, like who to take this problem to if you want to take it to someone and also just that whole saying of you don't know. You do not know what worse luck this bad luck right now is saving you from. Okay, I feel like this has been a bit of a rambly solo episode. I don't know. Let me know. I'm now going to answer a couple of questions that have come through via Instagram. Okay, so seven month old still catnapping every single nap on top on top of wake windows. I'm so tired. So on top of wake windows, I take that to be like this mum is aware of how long her seven month old can manage to stay awake between day sleeps. That's just for anyone listening who is like, what is a wake window? I often refer it to as a wake period as well. So, seven month old, still catnapping. Catnapping again is defined usually as like a 40 minute day sleep rather than a baby being able to do those nice 90 minute or two hour sleeps. A couple of things to consider. What's happening during that wake period sometimes can make a difference. Is your child, you know, at seven months old, their activity level? You know, what, what are they doing during that wake period? Does that make a difference to how they sleep? I've worked with families in the past where just by changing the way they're engaging with their little one or providing more opportunities to have, you know, time and space to crawl around or go and see new things, have um, no nappy time, kick around, have a bit of a splash in the bath. That can help just burning up more actual energy probably the key thing to think about here is how is your seven month old falling asleep if he or she is relying upon a dummy to get to sleep and then at the 40 minute mark when they're coming out of that sleep cycle are they then looking for the dummy and then if they wake and call out are you going in and returning the dummy therefore reinforcing the fact that they do in fact need this negative sleep association to get back to sleep seven months old may not be old enough for your little one to actually locate their dummy and put it back in um, on their own you know a little one who's more like 10 months 12 months old will probably be able to do that so i would really just consider how is your son or daughter falling asleep what's going on there does he or she need to be rocked do they need to be fed to sleep Just have a look at the start of the nap and whether or not they're looking for that at the 40 minute mark, because if they are, then the work, the work that you might want to focus on is getting them to fall asleep on their own without that association, which you can really focus on some hands on settling. Have a look at our Kind Parenting Company programs. Program number two is the one that you are going to want to check out because it will talk you through all of the different areas to consider and you might just have an unlock moment of going, oh, like this is the one thing I need to change or you might go, oh my gosh, here's five things that I can tweak slightly and get an improvement. Next up, Melb's event, Melbourne event in a non-creepy way. I feel like friends after years of following you, I would love to do events. I really wanna get back to doing events. I've done many in the past, obviously with um COVID and the global pandemic, it's not been happening. I would love to. Events are definitely on my vision board. So fingers crossed very soon. Next, do you think if you'd known what you do now slash done the work, your marriage could have worked? I think that in my marriage, we were both doing a lot of work, like on ourselves and working on things together. There are things now with a little bit of You know, obviously being removed from that situation and looking more at my own stuff because that's all I can do when you're in a partnership. It's very tempting to look at the other person's stuff. I don't know if this is making sense, but there are things that I know now that I would definitely implement in a relationship moving forward. I don't know if like if I was to go back three years and inject what I know now into Kylie back then, if it would have made a difference. Because there are two people in most relationships, sometimes more, but it wasn't just on me, <laughs> which I think is so interesting. And that's again a whole other conversation of people saying, why or how did you know? And people just make assumptions that it was one person's decision to end something. And I find that fascinating. Like, why have they come to that conclusion that that's the most logical? way that things happened I think it's really really interesting so ultimately no I don't think that even if I had this information I don't know I really don't know because there were two people in it and I can only speak for myself so I can't say for sure oh yes this would have changed and then the marriage would have been a different marriage and it would have worked in terms of longevity Strategies you use to calm yourself in crowded places or when anxiety slash overwhelm creeps in. Focusing on my breath is my biggest one. Like just, I'll do like a little breath hold, and then slow my system down with some deep breathing and counting my breaths. Box breathing can help. So that's, I'll literally draw like a box shape on my leg if I'm sat down, or even if I'm standing on my upper thigh. And I'll just count out my breathing, like one, draw one side of the box, two, another side, three, four, hold my breath for four while I do the same thing on my leg, draw a box, then exhale for four. I find that helpful. I also have always done this for as long as I can remember. I just pretend I've got like a bubble around me. Same thing if I'm in an awkward situation. You know, we've all been in awkward situations, but say, for example, you run into someone that, you know, just doesn't like you and you feel really uncomfortable. I just literally envision like I've got a bubble around me and no, like you, you don't get in, you you cannot come in here. Um, I find that helpful. Internal dialogue. It's okay. You're fine. This will be over soon. All of that stuff is probably the most effective. If you're in a place, like a crowded place and you can feel yourself getting anxious Trying to just cling on to the things that are not going to escalate your, um, your sense of overwhelm. But what can you do to de-escalate? Can you remove yourself? Can you go and sit in a bathroom stall for a couple of minutes? Running cool water over your wrists can be helpful as well. That pressure point there. Um, they're probably my biggest things I rely on. A few things that make you feel proud... I am very proud of like the way that I've handled a lot of difficult situations in this last couple of years. I've had some really challenging things pop up and mostly I'm very proud of the way I've handled it. I, I'm i proud that I do prioritize my mental health and my emotional wellness and I'm dialed into that. I have a like family history of people having mental health issues I have been really open and honest in saying I have definitely struggled up and down with mental health but I'm really proud that I have an awareness of that and I I have strategies in place like I have a safety net to to keep me in the zone and keep me in the level that I want to function at most of the time I am incredibly proud of the boys I really really am And I'm proud of them for things that have nothing to do with me, but I just feel such a sense of pride in them. And of course, there are things that I think, oh, yeah, I can credit myself for that. You know, sometimes they'll say things like their vocabulary is insane. The words that they use are so descriptive, so uncommon to come out of the mouth of a really young person and I often think oh yeah that that's a mum word you know they'll, they might say something like I know I felt really discombobulated and it sounds so ridiculous coming out of their mouth but I love I love their vocabulary and that's something their teacher mentioned to me this year as well I can't think of the exact example she was giving but she was just saying the same thing and that's not just from me but you know their dad and i have always read to them so i'm really proud of their use of words their understanding of words and their emotional intelligence is wild i also am proud of this business that i've created and the fact that i get to pay other women to work in the business and not just women i've got michael as well who helps with the podcast but that's a really nice feeling of going like oh yeah I have been able to create this little ecosystem for myself, but also not just for myself. You know, Jordan, who works for me, I think she's, I don't think she would mind me saying, but, you know, she's got such flexibility in her role. She also has a lot of stress because she has to deal with me. And I say that laughing and I don't mean stress as in because I mean stress as in just because I can be disorganized. But that's a good feeling. Paying an invoice to a, our graphic designer who is a young woman who is so incredibly talented, that feels good as well. I don't know if that, if that makes sense or if that translates or what, but that's something I'm proud of. Okay, the, diff, the difference in how you define yourself and your values to your kids versus to a stranger slash man versus to a friend hang on, I have to read this again. The difference in how you define yourself and your values to your kids versus to a stranger, man or friend. I don't really think about defining myself differently to these, you know, different people in my life. I have some core values that are core values across the board. Generosity is one. I think I'm I really value generosity and I'm like that in a relationship, generous with my time, with my energy, with my resources. I'm like that in parenting as well, super generous with being available to the kids. Sometimes I think maybe too available. Again, different conversation. Um, same with a stranger. I think I'm generous in my interactions with strangers. If the space and time calls for it and the scene and setting allows for it, I don't really think I define myself super differently in those areas, but it maybe is one that I can think a little bit more about. I guess the key part in that area, in that question, excuse me, is the difference in how you define yourself. And yeah, I'm definitely not running around thinking like, oh, okay, now that I'm in this situation, I will define myself completely differently. I tend to just acknowledge that I'm one person who has lots of different sides of myself and different people bring out different sides um, and different dynamics as well. Last but not least, who are your favorite people to follow on Instagram? I should go, I'll swipe out of questions and have a look at who I'm actually following. I like funny accounts. That's my, that is my favorite type of account to follow on Instagram because I, I think because I often listen to podcasts that are focused on personal growth and development and sometimes that gets heavy. So you want more or I want more lightness. So I love funny accounts, like literally meme accounts are funny to me. Um, I'm trying to think of what ones I follow. I think there's one that's called like 30 AF, 30 as fuck. Let's see. Most shown in feed. I am a 30 AF. They have funny memes on them. I follow Upworthy because they often have really cute videos that make me smile and make me feel all warm. What else? I have, um, there are like a, a handful of kind of fashion brands that I follow like Maury and Eve. People that I like to follow, I have Clementine Ford, I like following Abby Chatfield, I'm just scrolling through the people that I follow. Style by Denny D-E-N-I. I I think um, they are great. I like Coco Deville. Again, just funny, funny um, reels, really, really funny. Um, I like Benny Drama. I think he is great as well. Again, these are just like Light accounts. I like things in my feed that make me smile. There is an account that I was cracking up at the other day. Let me find the actual username. Up. It's unhinged, and it's called unhinged because it is a takeoff of the dating app Hinged. So they just upload funny profiles, and now that Hinged has voice prompts, there are really funny ones over there. So if you want to laugh, have a look up. um, Look up unhinged. Okay. This has been a long episode. I don't know if any of it's made sense, but let's just go with it. Rejection, disappointment, what to do when something upsets you, and also those questions. Let me know if you enjoyed solo episodes. When I do ask the question, that's what I hear back from you. I hear a lot of you saying, yes, we like the long solo episodes. So let me know. Hope that you have an amazing day. Whatever you are up to. It would mean the world to me if you take a screenshot of this episode, show me where you are, show me what you're up to. It really does make me smile when I'm like, oh, someone took me on a walk with them or oh, someone was listening to me while they folded their laundry. All right, guys, stay tuned as well because I have some amazing guests coming up on the fray. This is what I want. This is what I need. If you don't have to go i can set you free